down. Lift down. Him. Yeah. Um, lift and peeve. Lift and peeve. That's a way of saying like you're angry or you're mad. Don't be miffed and peeve. Miffed. Don't be miffed and peeve. <laughs> I don't want it. It's a real world. It's a real world. It's, 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 it's a real one. I don't use it, but it's Not real. in your vocab? Down to dunk. Yes. This is Stephen Adams. Don't be miffed and peeved. No, you can't be miffed and peeved. Sorry. This is Stephen Adams. You can't be miffed and peeved because you're listening to Down to Dunk. Welcome to Down to Dunk. Andrew Schlecht. We are part of CLNS Media, DailyThunder.com, featured on Dash Radio, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, 5 o'clock Central Time. With me today, I've got my good friend, Alex Spears. Alex, what's up? What's up? What's up? What's up? Hey, I have a question for you real quick. So yeah. I, I take a multivitamin. Sure. And um, Gummy? No, just just your uh, run, run standard of, adult run of the mill. Vitamin. Well, adult is a good word for it because uh, Amy bought these for me, and neither of us realized this until like over a month that they're men's fifty plus vitamins. Oh, um, and I I don't know if you can tell me what why is there a vitamin for fifty plus and and is it hurting? <laughs> is it making me older? Uh, uh, definitely making you older, but giving you a lot of virility. <laughs> what is that? Of, what does that mean? Uh, I don't know. I've heard that word associated with old people before. <laughs> so I think you're getting more of that. So that's probably a good thing. Um, I don't know. I mean, as long as there's not like Viagra randomly <laughs> stuck in your multivitamin, I think you'll be okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can, I can assure you that I've not had those symptoms constantly. So. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um, yeah, that's weird. It's a weird fun fact about me today. Uh, See, I go, I go the opposite way. I, I always buy kids gummies, like oh yeah. kids vitamins, just because they taste so good. Oh, my kids have them, and they do taste good. And Archie's like reaching up for them. We have them high up, and he's like, "I need more! Like, give me more!" He's a growing boy. <laughs> he is. Uh, so the Thunder haven't played since Sunday. It's weird. <laughs> it is really weird. McKelly and I broke that down. Um, with like an hour long podcast. that was basically just about that game. So we don't need to talk about that game anymore. Obviously uh, we could address that Mo Harkless is going to be out and we don't really know how long, which is kind of a huge deal for that team. Uh, Cause they don't have a ton of wing depth and he, he's been really good. Like he hit some big time shots in that game and they probably don't win that game without him. Um, so that's a big deal moving forward for them. Uh, but today we are going to rank the thunder players we're going to start with the worst player and on to the best player. Uh, and we just thought it would be a fun exercise to see, like, you know, compare, like, our expectations to what we thought they could be this season and, you know, just talk about overall how they've done this year. And it's just based on this year. We're not trying to base it on, like, any sort of career thing. So Alex and I and, both have our own lists. Yes, yes. We, and we don't know how the other one ranked them. We have no clue. And then the other thing to mention is that we're only doing the top 15. So we didn't include Daniel Hamilton and PJ Dozier. So for all my Doge heads out there, <laughs> this probably isn't the podcast for you. Shout out to PJ Dozier who sits in the Thunder locker room mostly by himself and looks at his phone and then is the first one out of the building almost every single night. Shout out to PJ. <laughs> 
Um, so number 15. This is an easy one. This is the uh, Kyle Singler Memorial spot, right? Yeah, he has not. He has only played 59 minutes this year. Hey, you know what? There, I feel like lately there's not a lot of ways I can give props to Billy Donovan. Props to Billy Donovan for ending the Kyle Singler experiment. Yeah, because it's over. It's it's wild to think how much he used to play. Oh man, especially, how much we used to be forced to talk about him, <laughs> especially last season. Yeah, I mean, I don't I'll have to look up his total, but I mean, it was it was getting to be kind of insane how much he played. But we don't need to talk about him anymore. Who do you got at fourteen? Uh, so fourteen, I put uh, Nick Collison. Yeah. You know, I think the decision here was Nick or Dakari, but Dakari actually had a meaningful moment this season, that Clippers game. Yeah. When he was a plus 26, he scored nine points. He hit that that jumper at the end. So you, you got to give Dakari some props for that. And Nick, you know, he certainly had some moments, um, probably only in service of helping Royce Young's Twitter. Right. You know, <laughs> but I don't know if he's done anything more meaningful beyond that. Yeah, now he had that one game where he scored, I think he scored like eight points. Uh, right. He was still like a negative something in that game. Like He just can't play anymore, and that's okay. That's perfectly fine for him not to be able to play anymore. I personally, I, I, I love Nick Collison. He's Mr. Thunder, all those things. He needs to retire next year. Like he can't, I, I just, mm. he needs to retire because the Thunder could use that roster spot. And no offense to Dakari Johnson, but it would also be nice to have that roster spot as well. <laughs> well, that sounds like some offense. Some offense <laughs> toward, toward Dakari, but it would be nice to have both roster spots. I I don't see like a massive future for Dakari. I think he's played good in spots. I don't I don't think he's like detrimental to this team. But if I'm the Thunder, like I would love another shot at somebody else for both of those spots, like a, a G league player, a guy from overseas, you know, a, a veteran, somebody that could actually help because there's just like no way that you would consider Dakari for minutes in the playoffs. Right. And right. And most 14, the 14th, 15th guys on the roster, those guys don't play in the playoffs. I get that. But I just also don't really see a lot of potential for him to be a kind of guy like that. And whenever you're, you have a young guy at the end of the bench, and and maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong. I've been wrong a ton of times, but personally, he seems like a guy that would have fit the NBA ten years ago, and done well. You know, playing against like the Pau Gasol, Andrew Bynum Lakers. Like you can throw him out there for a couple minutes against those guys, but those teams don't exist anymore. Like the the Grizzlies, the grit and grind Grizzlies are dead. That Lakers team long gone. The Spurs even. Like you can play small against the Spurs. I don't know. I just feel like that type of player and you know, they gave him the the contract, I feel like, because they're the Thunder, and if you if you're drafted by the Thunder and you play in the G League for them for a few years, you're gonna get a contract. And I I don't think that's the best way to do business. I think it's doing right by the players, and I understand that that does go it goes a long way for some guys, but for the most part, like if, if you're doing that for the end of the, your bench, like I just don't see how it's incredibly helpful. If like, he doesn't really fit the modern NBA, like he's not a crazy rebounder. He's not a guy that can really run the floor very well. Um, he has had some good moments this season, but I just, 
I have a hard time trusting that he's can be like a viable backup center um, for any length of time. So I, I would rather try somebody else. Yeah, I think that makes a lot, a lot of sense. The one, the only good thing you can say for Dakar, he hasn't played a lot of minutes, but he has the highest net rating on the team. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he does. It's very strange. Positive 12.3. Yeah, that's very weird. Uh, Kyle Singler, you know, he did play as many minutes as I thought last season. 385 minutes. I feel like I remember every single minute that he played last year. Yeah, I, I mean, it was enough for me to write an entire Reddit post at like 1 a.m. about him. So, <laughs> uh, Who do you have at 12? 12. So I felt like this was the first like actual decision. Yeah. Because everyone from here up actually plays. I put terrence ferguson i did too okay um while acknowledging that he's been better as of late yeah i still think if you look at him over the course of the season you know he's still he's still what is he 19 (laughs) he's 19 still yeah and it it shows up um in his stats significantly yeah Yeah, positive he shot 40 he shot 45 percent from three since the all-star break like you've seen flashes from him uh, he he didn't let Ed Davis punk him. He got up and shoved him. Everybody in the organization is very excited about the shove. Um, <laughs> he's got a ton of potential. Like I think that he can be a great rotation piece. Maybe even next season. Like it wouldn't surprise me. Like he works really hard. He's super smart by all accounts. I think that of anybody on this list, it wouldn't surprise me if we're talking about Ferguson. Like up in like the six, seven range next season. Like that wouldn't surprise me, but this season he's just hurt the team more than he's helped. And you can look at the lineup data, you know, with the starters, you know, Robertson was obviously incredible there. They had a net rating of plus 14.2 with Corey Brewer. There are plus 4.4 with Abrinas. They're even positive at a 0.9 with Josh Hustis. They're a plus 10.4. With Ferguson playing with Russell Westbrook, Paul George, Stephen Adams, and Carmelo Anthony, they're a minus 5.5. Like Everybody else seems to figure out a way to do good things on the court, except when Terrence has been out there. And it's not a tiny sample size. In fact, he has played the most minutes with the starters next to what Robertson did. He's played 231 minutes with the starters and it just hasn't worked. Their defense drops off a cliff. They're a 114.5 defensive rating. Um, and that's just not good enough. So I think it's easy to put him there just because. And the, but also understand that I don't think a, neither I nor Alex think that he's like not an NBA player. Yeah. And, uh, you know, looking over his stats, I think one of the interesting things going forward is what what is he going to do on offense? Because right now they kind of have him in an Alex Abrinas role, like his three point attempt rate, which is the number of three pointers, the percentage of three pointers you take as a part of your total field goals taken is 68 percent, which is second on the team, only behind Alex Abrinas. Mm-hmm. So right now out on the court, they're really just having him take a lot of threes. And you just wonder because I, I we didn't see him in college. I didn't I have no idea what he looked like in Australia. I don't know if there's more to his offensive game that they're hoping to unlock in these next couple of years, or if they're hoping that he's just kind of a more athletic Alex Abrinas. 
Yeah, he's shown some of like a floor game. Like he's thrown some passes that I was a little bit surprised about, and he's put the ball on the floor some. But like if you look at teams like the Rockets and the the Warriors, like their role players just camp out at three. And if you can get the ball to them, if you have a creator like Russ, and McKelly mentioned this, like Russ with spot up shooting, like has been great. Like if he can have as many spot up shooters that can, you know, knock down at a decent rate, like that's a really good thing for Russell. And so I think that idea, like I think that they look at him as like the starting two guard of the future. Um, he has the athleticism. He like he's gotten better on defense. I really thought that he was pretty good against Portland the other night. He didn't have like a great offensive game, um, but I thought that he played a, a decent defensive game out there. And as as he bulks up and as he gets more experience, I think that he could he can be a maybe he's he's definitely like your fifth starter, but he could be that guy. Like I can I've seen that I've seen flashes of that enough to where it's like it's not unreasonable to think that. And, and you have to assume that the big deciding factor there is what happens with this defense going forward. D- definitely, and if you're going to start at the two guard for the Thunder, you have to be able to play defense. If you're going to play on the wing for the Thunder. You have to be able to play defense. Like you just have to, or else they maybe don't, they don't play you. Maybe he'll just get jacked this summer. He could, he could get super jacked. He's so skinny. Like he's going to be a skinny guy. Like he'll be Will Barton. Like that. I don't think he'll be the that kind of player. I don't see that in him. But I do see like that body type, where you know you're six 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 seven, um, and Will, Will Barton's still really skinny, but he's bulked up quite a bit and can hold up, and so you can see him becoming that kind of player. Uh, and as long as he can you know, play within a team defense and hit threes and run the break. And I, I see it. Like I, I see it. I don't see it this season and I don't really like him playing as, as much as he has lately, but I can see it going forward. And the thunder are just absolutely ecstatic about this kid. Uh, so I'm interested to see who you put at number 11. This one I did not anticipate putting him here, but I put Josh Eustace. Man, we we have the exact same list so far. <laughs> See, I, I thought I was going to end up putting him higher just because of all the lineup data. Yeah. But when you just look at his individual stats, it's sort of overwhelming. Yeah, you can't you can't ignore them. Yeah. The shooting from three and from the free throw line are just atrocious. He's like 27% from the free throw line and it's on like no attempts, but still. Oh my gosh. I, I just realized that his, his shooting splits are less than a hundred. Oh no. That was the Kyle Singler line. That is the Kyle Singler line. He's That's, shooting 33, 28 and 28. Oh, the lineup data loves him. Absolutely loves him. Like I mentioned with the starters, their net rating is a 10.4 their offensive rating with him on the court which is after you read those stats this is like astounding and something that maybe (laughs) doesn't make sense and maybe isn't even real maybe he's hacked nba.com's data and he's using his stanford degree to do that um offensive rating of a 117 defensive rating of a 106 so (laughs) so like if if you do if you guys don't understand some i feel like i say a lot of stats that maybe a lot of people don't understand um, and I know a lot of you do, so just ignore this part or hit the 15 second skipper. But uh, per 100 possessions, you know they would score 117 points. 
So if they had 100 possessions in a game, that's how much they would score with that lineup there out there the whole time. And defensively, 106.9, that's how much the opponent would score per 100 possessions if you had that lineup there out the whole time. So uh, it's good, like really good. And the sample size isn't huge. It's it's one 175 minutes for that lineup. Uh, but it's worked, and it's worked against the Warriors. And that's that's where it's like, like I don't know. Like I, he really was good against Golden State, and I feel like he has some confidence issues. And I feel like a lot of it stems from the way that the Thunder have handled uh, his career. Uh, he hasn't played at all lately. Like he's just out completely out of the rotation. They're playing lineups with Ferguson and Abrinas out there, which I don't think is wise. Um, but you can't ignore the shooting. And you can't ignore the fact that he's not in the rotation. Um, because I still think he's he can play. I really do. I think that he can he can go somewhere and play and be a fine rotation player. He'll he's not he'll be the eighth or ninth guy, um, maybe even the tenth guy for a team. But I think that he's that kind of player. Like I think that he can come off the bench at times and contribute. Um, but again, I w- we've talked ad nauseum about how the Thunder have handled his career, but. You, I just don't think you can justify putting him any higher than this. And I think one of the more damning statistics was his effective field goal percentage, which is field goal percentage calculation that takes into account the fact that threes are worth three points. Mm-hmm. And her, his is 41.9%, which is absurdly low. And it's absurdly low because he takes 63% of his shots from three, but he's only hitting 28% of them. <laughs> so th- they're playing him almost like he's and a Brinus or a Ferguson, but obviously he's like nowhere near the shooter that those guys are. Yeah. It's, it's not good. It really is not. Um, yeah. You just can't ignore any of those stats and say, you know, just go with the lineup data. Cause you have to look at the whole picture, but I think defensively he helps. Um, but yeah, I can't put him any higher. Uh, who do you have at 10? So 10, I wanted to put him higher. Because cause I love him. Oh. I put Alex Sabrina. Man, we have the same list. <laughs> I'm sure it's going to get mixed up here in a second, though. Because I felt like after Abrinas, that's when it actually really got hard for me. I don't know. I don't. I think that we have the exact same list. <laughs> so Abrinas, I mean, listen, his defensive stats aren't there. It doesn't look like he does anything on the court other than threes. <laughs> if you just look at his stats. But. For what he is asked to do, he takes 75% of his shots from three and he shoots 39% and he shoots 87% from the line. Like, I I don't know what more you want from the boy. I'd like to thank the press for sponsoring today's show. If you haven't been to the press, uh, you're missing out. It's Southwestern Comfort Food located in the Plaza District near downtown Oklahoma City. Uh, The Plaza District in general is wonderful. It's a great place to take a date or take a group of friends and walk around, but you better end up at the press. It's a great place to go for brunch. So if you're looking for some place for brunch, and I know that all of you are all the time, and this is the place. They've got good pancakes and bacon. Um, They also have great lunch. They've got really good salads. They have their press cob salad, which is just unbelievable. Um, they've also got a mashed potato bowl, Buffalo Mac and cheese. Like this is just like comfort food. Like if you're looking for the comfort food, it's right here at the press. They've got a great bar with, uh, cocktails that are delicious. They've got great beer selection. 
uh, a lot of local beers. All all the best beers are there. So go check out the press. Uh, if you're looking for a place to watch the Spurs game, uh, go sit at the bar at the press and watch the Spurs game. They've got some nice TVs in there. Uh, take a group of friends with you. Uh, it's just a really, really cool spot in the Plaza District. So support the people that support Down to Dunk and eat at the press. Uh, Bradis is shooting 45.5% uh, post-All-Star break from three on 2.8 attempts per game, which is good considering the he's playing like 11 minutes a game. Uh, Pre-All-Star break, he is at 37% um, on about the same amount of attempts, but uh, more minutes. He was playing 16 minutes uh, per game before the All-Star break. I, and, and he and Ferguson's minutes have kind of flip-flopped after the all-star break. And I don't, I don't necessarily think it's a good thing. I think that him getting more time, because I just saw like in the Portland game, he played at a pivotal stretch in that game. He hit a massive three. He ran a simple pick and pop action with uh, Patrick Patterson. Perfect pass on time. Patterson makes a three. He created two threes in the, I think he had nine minutes in that game. Uh, he had the, the highest plus minus, which like plus minus in a single game is fleeting. Like it's not something that you can just hang your hat on, but still like, I just feel like he deserves more of a chance. And I thought defensively he did fine. And I think that positionally he's a fine rebounder. I think he's better than a, a better rebounder than Corey Brewer is. I think that that's one thing that if you can point to something that's he, he is hurting uh, the team is with rebounding. I don't think the same rebounding deficit is there with the brainness. I think he's been pretty good. Um, he's got potential, but for whatever reason, Billy just doesn't give him the chance. And I, I wonder what that looks like come playoff time because he does play him in meaningful moments. Like he could have chosen to leave to put Ferguson in with the starters um, or with that unit that was playing in the fourth quarter. Uh, but he went with a brainness. And so I just wonder if, you know, if the development stuff will stop with Ferguson and he'll trust to bring us more come the postseason because this team is desperate for three-point shooting and he has been phenomenal since the break at 45%. Like give, I would love to see him have more of a chance. And I think that the more you play him, I think that he can be very helpful. And if defensively, if there's a guy that he is being put on time and time again that he can't guard, you can pull him. Like you don't have to play him the whole game, but I just I just wish that he would have a little bit of a longer leash with Abrinas. Yeah, I think we both like when you see Alex Abrinas on the court, aren't you more confident in him than if like Terrence Ferguson was out there? Without a doubt, yeah. And and maybe you know in the grand scheme of things, he doesn't have have as high of a ceiling. But for this team, when Alex Abrinas is out there, like I know what I'm getting, and I know he's not going to be great on defense, but he's also going to try. And he's going to be a great spot up shooter, and he's going to take a ton of shots if you give them to him. Mm-hmm. And, and so, if he like, he may just not have a career with the Thunder, like he, but he will go on somewhere, and and if he does within the next couple of years, you will say things like, "I can't believe we had this guy on our team," because he he could go to Utah or he could go to Atlanta or Brooklyn. Like if he, I mean, honestly, if he was in Brooklyn right now and playing Alan Crabs minutes, like everybody would just be crapping all over themselves at like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that we let this guy go because he could take, you know, 10 threes a game hitting 45%. Like that's very possible. 
in that right. kind of system where you're getting wide open threes and generating wide open threes. And he's a guy that can hit off screens. Uh, he's not a great like pick and roll handler, but I think that he can do that a little bit given the opportunity. Um, like Joe Harris, like Joe Harris, isn't really a very good basketball player. Like he's not a he's not a guy that can be a part of like an eight man playoff rotation. But I think people have talked themselves into that because of like what he, he's been doing in Brooklyn. Um, I don't really trust a lot of those guys. Like Sean Kilpatrick, like looked like an all star for like two weeks in Brooklyn a couple of years ago, and like now he's like a fringe player. I don't really trust a lot of what happens in Brooklyn because like their system is really good, uh, and someone has to score for them. Uh, but if you saw Abrinas in a system like that and you saw him playing 30, 35 minutes a night, you would say, like, whoa, like that dude is good. Like, get him on the Thunder. Um, but for whatever reason, I think it's defensive reasons. And I even asked Billy a couple weeks ago, is there anything that Abrinas can do to get, you know, to be sol- a solid rotation player for you? And, like, he just said a bunch of words uh, that basically meant no. Yeah, like he had a he had a long drawn out answer that was like, well, you know, Alex is doing this and he's doing that, but we'll we'll use him when we need to, which means no. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so the next one was number nine. Yep, didn't want to put him here. I've been caping for him all year long. We have the same list. Patrick Patterson. We have the same list. I told you we have the same list. It's two Pat. And the, and it's funny that these guys are back to back because going into the season, it was like, who are the two most important bench players? Oh, I think it's Alex. It is Patrick Patterson. Like that's, it had to be Patrick Patterson. He was a top 100 player. He was a top 100 player. And I think that some of it is the injury stuff. I really do. Um, and to me, the second piece of it is Carmelo Anthony's on this team. And he's going to soak up a majority of the minutes at power forward. And another credit to Billy is that he hasn't allowed Mello to play on the wing, which I think is a good thing for this team overall. Uh, but it's a bad thing for Patterson because if I've learned one thing about Patterson and I, and I'd heard this and people have said it and I, and I hadn't seen him enough to know this, but he is just not strong enough to handle big physical players. And so you can't really steal minutes at center for him. Like he is strictly a power forward. And if that's what he is, then he's not really going to get more than like the 12 to 15 minutes a night. Like he's right. just, he's just not because they want to steal minutes for Jeremy Grant there still. And maybe even Paul George next to Adams a little bit. And so there's just not the minutes just aren't there. Um, you have to wonder what in the rotation tightens up a little bit. If his minutes will see an increase at playoff time. Uh, but I think a lot, some of it is the injuries to begin the season. And then to me, the other piece is that they're just, the minutes aren't there for him. Yeah. And with, with a couple of these bench guys, I wonder, you know, looking at their stats as a whole, how much of it is skewed by the fact that they just don't get to play with the best players a lot. Like, I, I wonder if Patrick Patterson's just overall stat line would, would look a lot better if he had, you know, gotten that chance a little more often. Because you, you look at, you know, he kind of has a similar stat line to uh, Alex Abrinas. Like, he takes the vast majority of his shots from three. He takes 63% of his shots from three. He's shooting 38%, shooting 86% from the line. You you see that and you're like, oh, yeah, that's, right. that's kind of what we wanted. Um, but, you know, his, his assists 
percentage is down. Um, I think it's his lowest in five years. His total rebound percentage is down. He's just not doing a lot else on the court, which, you know, he was always that plus minus darling. Um, but I, you know, you wonder how much of that had to do with him just getting to play with Lowry and DeRozan so much in the past. Right. Yeah, I agree with that. And we, we saw a glimpse, a glimpse of it when Mello went down early in that Warriors game. And we got to see that defense with Patterson and with Houston out there with the starters. And they were really good. <laughs> they were really good. I just wonder, I mean, a lot of, I feel like a lot of the talk always kind of comes back to Mello. And if Mello's hitting his shots and basically that, if Mello's hitting his shots, he's worth it. Like Mello's worth the minutes if he's hitting his shots because he's going to attract the defense um, and if he's making a nice percentage of shots, then great. Like he's very helpful. The trouble is he hasn't been doing that. And so, you know, I, I don't know that Patterson is like the, the upgrade that he is in like everybody's head. Um, but I do think that he's, a, he would be a slight upgrade over Melo, at least the way that Melo has been playing, you know, lately. But, um, yeah, I've, it's hard to put him any higher than this um, with the, the start of the season that he had. Um, and then like, he's, he's another guy like, is he, if he's hitting his shots, great. If not, uh, he's, he's still moving the ball. He's still playing decent defense. Like I, I like him. He's a good rotation player. I think if they have an eight man rotation, like he should certainly be a part of it. So, all right. Number eight. Now I think this is where we will diverge. I don't know, Alex, we have not diverged yet, so let's let's find out. I'm having second thoughts, but I put at number eight Carmelo Anthony. Oh, we are diverging. Okay. Who'd you put? Felton? I put Brewer. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, so I put Anthony um you know, I think he he, he, you know, he's probably a better player than Raymond Felton, but I just given his current role on the team, um, given his usage percentage, um, given how much floor time he's seeing, I think given that large expanded role, he hasn't been great. And I think with someone like Raymond Felton, who I had at seven, he has a much smaller role on this team. I think for what he is asked to do, he's doing a fine job. Whereas I think Carmel Anthony has been a much bigger detriment just because he has such a larger role. Yeah, I and I totally get all of that, and his his value is shot making, and he has not done that to the level that he has in the past. Um, I think I think eight is fair for him. I really do, uh, just because defensively. You know, he's walking to closeouts at times. Um, I question how good a shape he's in. I mean, to be honest, uh, I don't I don't know how good a shape he's in overall. And also at this point in the season, um, you know, they, they're trying to prepare for the playoffs. And this is something that McKellen and I have talked about a little bit. Like, I don't know if like p- playing the power forward like he has to be stronger than he has been in the past. And you, I wonder if there's some like extensive weight training going on with him, like during the last part of the season to prepare for the playoffs where like his balance may be off or something like that. And this is all just pure speculation. 
Um, but that happens with a lot of guys. And so I just wonder if that, that could be a part of the story or if he's just regressed, which is also, I think the more likely thing is that he's regressed. Uh, he certainly has this season, but we, we didn't think that this would be the mellow that, that we would get. Um, but I still think they're going to play him. Billy clearly trusts him. And, you know, if you look at his past resume, like there's a lot of reasons to. Um, but, yeah, I, th- I think eight is fair. I think anywhere between, you know, six, seven, eight. Like I think that's kind of his range with where he's been this season. And that's he definitely did not, did not meet expectations. Um, but he's a role player on this team. And he's a role player that probably gets too many shots. He's a role player that probably has a bigger role than he should. Uh, I don't know how much it'll shrink come playoff time. Uh, but, like, those shots need to be redistributed amongst, you know, Russell, Paul, and Steve. Like, those guys need more shots, certainly. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I don't have him there. I have – that's where I have Corey Brewer is at eight. Um, he's been good. I think he's been really good for this team. Uh, it's been such a short span of time, and we have more data on him that says that he's not any good. Um, and so it's hard for me to reconcile. And I know that he's in a different role, and this is better for him. Uh, but his play against Portland was a little bit alarming to me because he wasn't making quite the same impact that he had been. Uh, so that's where I have Corey, just because I'm, I'm still a little bit skeptical, and some people may not like that, but I still am a little skeptical of what he can bring come playoff time. Um, and yeah, I, I think it's I think fair if, to put Melo there. And I think if you're going to make the argument like you are to put Carmelo over him, you know, we are in the absolute like worst part of Melo's season. Like it's, I can't imagine it getting any worse than it is right now, just in terms of both fan and media attention on his current play. And he's had just like these <laughs> these moments that you just can't ignore. Yeah. I mean, watching that Portland game, it was, I, I tweeted about this, but I laughed so hard at that last three because following along in my Twitter timeline, it was just like building and building because <laughs> he kept making mistakes and people were getting, getting more and more angry. And then just to cap it off with that final three was just, it was just perfect. It was art. <laughs> um, but I would remind people that, as as recently as like a month ago, we were talking about how like Carmelo had like turned it around a little bit. I was yeah. going through the top Reddit post on our Thunder last night, just of like the last couple months, and there were like multiple like, "Hey, let's give it up for Melo. He's really <laughs> turned it around." There were multiple posts like that, like mm-hmm. within like three or four weeks ago. So I I still believe that there's a chance that he could. You know, he's he's not going to become Olympic mellow, but yeah. I, I think that he's obviously still has the the opportunity and the talent to put up games where he's going to help this team in the playoffs. So it, it's really bad right now. And that's probably why my rankings reflect that, why I put him at eight. Um, but I, I totally get putting him over someone uh, like Brewer. Now, I also wanted to mention when I was going through Reddit last night. 
this was like the post that made me realize I have to stop getting onto Reddit. <laughs> the, t- the title of it was Russell Westbrook for my eighth grade art class. Don't make fun if it's bad. And it was someone who had posted like a hand drawn picture of Russell Westbrook. I realized I'm just on Reddit with eighth graders. That's who's on our thunder. It like makes so much sense. I'm like on there trying to have like intelligent conversations. I'm talking to an eighth grader. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Oh man. Um, yeah. And I, I still have a little bit before I get to Carmelo, but he shot, he shot the three ball. It hasn't been great. Pre all-star break 34.8%, but post he's been 37.9%, almost 38% from three, which if you said that Melo shoots 38% post all-star break, you probably say, you know, they just haven't, right. They haven't, gone it lately you know just the portland game like they didn't go in when you wanted them to and that's a and that's a problem and timing is everything and context is everything in the nba and you know i've talked to royce and all these guys like we agree wholeheartedly that paul george should be sending carmelo anthony a starbucks gift card because if Melo didn't exist, Paul would be getting a ton of heat right now as the guy who's not delivering for the Thunder over and over again. Um, yeah, because uh, he he was he was just as bad as Melo the other night. I thought so. I, I thought the most interesting Melo stat of all these ones that we came up with was his VORP, because like usually with VORP, I don't know a ton about how that stat is calculated, but you you just kind of notice that there's a ton of point ones and negative point ones. Yeah. And VORP is like the value of a replacement player. You rarely see like wild negative swings, mm-hmm. but Mello is a negative 1.2, which is like far and away the worst on the team. Yeah. Um, and I assume that has something to do with like how big his role is relative to some of these other guys, why their VORPs are better. Sure. Yeah. Uh, he's not, yeah, getting, to, he's not getting to the free throw line. He's not really rebounding really well. He's not, I mean, there's just not a lot of, there's not a lot of things that you can point to to say like, he's done this very well this season. I feel like right. he's had good games. I don't think that he's like been awful in every single game he's played. I feel like he's had good games. But overall, I don't think you can point to one thing and say he's been really good at this. Or he's really contributed this to the team consistently. I don't think that thing exists for him. Um, which is troubling. And I don't think that VORP number tells the whole story. Um, but it is certainly a part of the story. So I went Mello, Felton, Brewer. So what were your next three? Starting with eight. Um, here, here's my list because I'm taking into account the entire season. I went Brewer, uh, Grant. What? <laughs> Brewer, Grant, um, Mello is what I went. Oh, man. I'm, I almost did something with Jeremy Grant, and I'm glad I didn't. <laughs> I backed off a little bit. I, I'm trying to take out like my recency bias with him. Because there was certainly a time in the season where I thought, is Jeremy Grant any good? And my answer was no. Yeah, but what what if he made the leap now, Andrew? I feel like he has made a leap. No question in my mind. Well, why are you punishing him? Because he was. I'm talk, taking into account the entire season. Well, I am not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think that he is a wonderful rotation player now. I do. I and he's he's been great but pre all-star break he had a negative plus minus he was shooting 25% from 3 at the time only 50% um 
field goal percentage, which is not great for a guy that basically just shoots around the rim. Um, so I, I, I don't know, but he has certainly made a leap after that. He's up to 34% from three post all-star break, 57% from the field. Uh, and he has a, a positive plus minus. Like he's certainly made a, a huge leap and he's mostly playing, um, he's mostly playing with bench players and to have the impact that he has off the bench, uh, has been tremendous, but he hasn't done it all season. And so like, that's where like I give more credit to even a guy like Mello who maybe hasn't been great all season, but he's at least been there. Um, but Grant has been at times more harmful to the team and a guy that you feel like you can't really play all that much, but he's not that guy anymore at all. Um, but that's where I give the nod to guys like Raymond Felton, um, who has been like a consistently good presence for this team. Um, so that's, that's where my head's at with it. Uh, if I were ranking like post all-star break, yeah, he would be three or four probably. Yeah. I ended up putting him five, but I, I almost, and I switched it kind of late, but I almost put him ahead of Robertson. Mm. I did. I didn't do it. Cause yeah. you know, I, I mean, you can't really deny Robertson's impact on this team at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, but looking ahead to their roles in the a future playoff when they are both playing, I really just wonder how teams are going to approach Robertson um, with 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 the foul shooting, sure. And I wonder how that's going to impact his overall effectiveness on the court because yeah. we really only saw it that one playoff series. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I I would just like to see a larger sample of that, see if that really is a problem or if it's only going to be a problem with certain teams and only like certain parts of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do worry about that going forward, and I just wonder if Jeremy Grant really does make a leap is there the potential that he could just have a more consistent value and more consistent role for this team in the playoffs? Um, the thing that stood out for his stats was his free throw rate by far the highest on the team. So the free throw rate is the ratio of foul shots to your overall field goal attempts. And his was 49.1%, which is very nice for him. And it kind of speaks to the fact that he is not just shooting threes, um, oh, he has no. re- really developed an inside game this year, not just scoring, but like also passing. He's yeah. made some really impressive interior passing this year. Yeah, I for most of the season, I thought, yeah, he may be a guy that Thunder let go. Like they let him go this summer. Uh, I would be really surprised if he's not on this team next year for a lot of reasons. Uh, I think that they're going to make him a strong offer, and I think he'll stay. Um, I think some of his improvement, like he learned to dribble. Like, he learned to dribble the basketball. Last season, he could not do it. He was completely out of control. I think a lot a lot of it is balance and body control and dribbling with him. And I feel like he learned to do those three things, which is nearly impossible for most guys. Like, to learn to do those three things is really, really tough. And I feel like he's learned to do them. And a lot of it is that he's playing the five. And he has a step on almost every single five <clears throat> in the NBA. And that has been really helpful to his drive game. Like if he can just get a step on somebody, like he's at the rim. And he's been able to finish off balance. He's been able to finish at the rim through traffic, through contact. 
Like he's gotten a lot stronger. He's controls his body. And I think the body control, which is something that I feel like he's gained more and more throughout the season. I think that that's contributed to the uptick uh, in his three point percentage, because if you watch him shoot it like last season, like, I don't know how many people had faith that the ball was going to go in for him from three last season. I feel like that his number, if you look at it, it looks really good. I think it was luck. I do think that, I mean, there's always an element of luck in basketball. There just is. You know, you watch that Boston Celtics game. There's a lot of luck that went into the Thunder losing that game or bad luck. Um, But I feel like his shot is more compact. I feel like he is more in control. Uh, He's shooting 34%. And if he's a 34 point uh, percent uh, three point shooter, plus has his drive game, plus is really a switchy defender and is becoming like a better rim defender. Like he's always been good at blocking shots, but I feel like he's becoming a better rim defender. Like if he can be all those things, like you're talking about uh, a top six or seven rotation player, or perhaps next season, it, it, I don't think this will be the case, but a guy that you can argue should be the starting power forward for the Thunder. So, yeah. Um, so where did you put Mello? You put him at five? Uh, I have Mello at six, and then I have Ray at five. Okay. And then I'm really interested to see here your top three. Yeah. So I have uh, Robertson at four. Me too. Um, He was incredible. He had found a really good offensive role for himself and was playing to the best of his ability. And he was phenomenal. And it's really sad that we didn't get to see what this team could be with him because I think that they could, I think they might have the three seed locked up themselves right now. Uh, you could could have seen them go on a run like the Blazers have gone on, um, but he's not there. Uh, my top three are in this order: number three, uh, Paul George; number two, Stephen, me too, Stephen Adams; and number one, Russell Westbrook. Yeah, Stephen Adams. Uh, you know, I, I really think it's starting to show up, like in the advanced stats, yeah. just how good he is. Yeah. Um, you know, the only one that he was behind Paul in was RPM, but. You know, Vorp, Windshares, um, he's just really been an incredible player this year. And the worst part of it was his usage percentage. You know, he's his usage percentage is like 16.8%, which is in line with guys like Jeremy Grant. Um, and it's clear that he should be getting more than that at this point. Uh, no question. Like if, if this team wants to be better in the postseason, and, and often in, in games that really matter, we often see big games from Steven Adams. Like the Cavaliers game, we saw huge huge shot numbers and minutes from Steven Adams against the Warriors. They actually went to him in the post against every single center that they could throw at him. The Thunder, the Thunder know that they're better when it's Russell Westbrook, Steven Adams, and Paul George as their three best players and the guys that get a majority of the shots. I think that they very much know that. I think that you see them feed Mello against Sacramento and the Mavericks and teams like that because they want to keep him happy and involved. Like Whether we like it or not, personalities play a huge role in what happens with an NBA team in the locker room. And it's just as much Billy's job to you know, manage lineups as it is to egos and managed personalities and the fact is that steven adams will play the same way every night whether he's getting one shot or 20 and the fact is that carmelo anthony is not that kind of guy and if you can keep him engaged 
like Melo could have a a playoff game or two where he gets hot and he helps you win a game. Um, but still, I still think that the Thunder, when it comes down to it in the playoffs, that Stephen Adams will get more touches and get more shots, and this team will be better. And next season, if they're able to keep this core together, my assumption is that Stephen Adams one will be a better basketball player because he really, really works on his craft, and I firmly believe that he's the smartest player on this team. Uh, he he will get better, and I feel like he'll have a bigger role. And I think that Melo will get older, and he will have a smaller role. Like I, I really firmly believe that those things will or maybe should happen. Um, but Paul George has been too inconsistent to put him at number two. He should easily be the number two guy, right? It shouldn't even. We shouldn't be having this conversation. We really shouldn't. Um, but lately, like this slump, it's been too long, and it's been too bad at this point to say that Paul George should be here. He's shooting 27% from three. He's shooting 37% overall field goal percentage. Um, this is post all-star break. Um, you know, some of the other stats are, are still there. He's been getting some assists. He's, you know, his plus minus is still, is still good since then. Um, but the shooting is not good enough to be called the number two guy on this team. Uh, he's had great stretches, obviously. He's shot the ball. He's still shooting like on the season 40% from three, which goes to show you how well he has played this season. Uh, but Steven Adams has consistently, and I and I almost did this. I almost put Steve as the number one guy just because, <laughs> just because he has consistently been the best player on the court. Like If you looked at it across the board, he's shown up almost every night. He's had right. maybe a handful of bad games. Uh, you can't say the same for Paul. You can't even say the same for Russell. Russell began the season in, in not a great way. Like he could not shoot mid-range jumpers. Like they were gone, uh, and really up until they played the Philadelphia 76ers when they played that, I think it's triple overtime game. Um, he found his shot in in that overtime, and he's kind of kept it since then. Uh, but before that, like it was, it was atrocious and it was kind of scary, like to see, to see that. Um, but I do think that PRP injection has had a lot more to do with it, that part of the season than what we even thought at the time. Uh, but I think it's easy, easy, it's easy to put Steve there too. And then Russell, like Russell has been phenomenal since, you know, basically January. He he has been spectacular. He has won games for this team. He puts the team on his back. Uh, he does a lot. Sometimes he does too much. Um, but overall, he's been spectacular. If he had the season that he's had, you know, this half, the second half of the season, the whole season, like he would be, the th- first of all, the Thunder would, you know, easily win 50 games. Uh, and second of all, he'd be in like the four, five, six, you know, talks for MVP again because he has been that good um, so I had to put him at number one because this team goes as Russell Westbrook goes and he controls so much and it's hard to put a guy like Steven Adams even though he's been consistently good in his role his role is not big enough to say that he's been the best player on this team so that's that's where I'm at all right so overall we have the same one through four and the same nine through 15 yeah we basically have the same list. Yeah. 
um, man, I don't know that we have time for anything else. Do you do you want do you want to do your this week in Thunder history and then wrap up though? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. All right. So this week in Thunder history, we look back at someone else looking back. <laughs> We're reaching the end of another Thunder season, Andrew, which means it's time to reflect on the season that was and fondly remember our favorite moments. Back in 2009, that's exactly what the Oklahoman was doing at the end of the Thunder's first season in Oklahoma City. This week in 2009, they published a small blurb recounting what they considered to be the five best things about the Thunder's first season in OKC. Now, Andrew, would you like to hear what the Oklahoman thought was the five best things about the Thunder's first season? I seriously cannot wait. Okay, now these first couple, I'm just going to roll through. They're, they're, they're pretty standard. Uh, first one was hope. It says here, uh, victories were in short supply, but reasons for hope were not. Young stars, improved play, and late season upsets. That's a pretty good one. Number two, Kevin Durant. It's hard to take your eyes off the guy. You just never know what he's going to do. Makes you forget about CP3. I think that's pretty reasonable for uh, one of the best things about their first season. Number three, the crowds. The team stunk. The economy stunk. Worse, and still, attendance was great, and they said it couldn't work in OKC. So those are all pretty standard. Like, I, I understand why they chose those. Yeah. But now we get to number four. And for those just tuning in, this is a list of the absolute five best things about the Thunder's first season in Oklahoma City. A former minor league city had become a big league city, and these were the five best things about that first magical season. Number four, the T-shirt cannon. No, it says here, says here, the way it sprays 10 or 12 T-shirts into the crowd is really cool. No. <laughs> now, uh, now I read that, Andrew, and I thought, OK, now that seems a little strange. Is and the frankly, Baylon Blaster? That, that was the Baylon Blaster. Wow. I, th- I thought, uh, you know, that's a little strange. It's frankly a little sad. That didn't even make our list of the uh, top in arena. I things. know. But but hey, you know, maybe I don't remember what it was like before T-shirts had been weaponized. You know, maybe the first time we saw that really was that amazing. You know, maybe we've just become so jaded, so disillusioned toward the T-shirt cannon. Maybe we don't remember the pure joy that existed when we first saw an extra large cotton poncho blindly fired into a crowd. But then, Andrew, but then I read number five. Okay. This was the fifth best thing about the Thunder's first season in Oklahoma City. 2009, a city once known nationally only for natural disasters and the national tragedy had broken through into the stratosphere of major league cities. We now had a professional basketball team of our own. We could no longer be ignored. We were moving up in the world. It was a celebration of Oklahoma City reaching the big time. And what was the fifth best thing about that season, Andrew? I'm so excited. I don't know. Everybody clap your hands. It says here, who knows why, but the song has become an anthem for the Ford Center faithful. The fifth best thing about the 2009 city was that song, Everybody Clap Your Hands. Oh, my gosh. It was it was our anthem, Andrew. Now, do you remember back in 2009 how before every game, right after the Star Spangled Banner, DJ Boom would lead the Thunder faithful in a five-minute rendition of Everybody Clap Your Hands? <laughs> It was it was such a beautiful season. Those were the five best things about the first season. And if that really was how bad it was, I don't remember it being that bad that I would get excited about everybody clap your hands. But um, that is astonishing. <laughs> that 
I've been surprised about a lot of things this week. That's clearly the most surprising thing this week. <laughs> uh maybe maybe they were getting paid by like the everybody clap your hands writer (laughs) he's trying to get more press for his song i just can't believe that wow uh so if you if you feel like there's been some low points this season just remember that everybody clap your hands is not even anywhere close to our list of great things (laughs) (laughs) oh my gosh oh man alex thanks for coming on the show today follow alex on twitter at albabycakes uh, he's a great follow, really great Thunder follow. So please follow him. Follow us on Twitter at Down to Dunk. You can follow me at Andrew K. Schlecht. We appreciate you guys listening. Uh, please tell your friends about our show. If you're listening to it, you've enjoyed it, uh, pass it along, send somebody the link. Uh, something would be great because this is kind of how this thing keeps going. So please uh, continue to do that. Uh, you guys have continued to leave five star iTunes reviews for us. Uh, it means a lot. I know there's a lot of you that are sitting and listening now and thinking, oh, I haven't done that yet. If you haven't done it yet, get to a computer. If you have an uh, Apple phone, uh, go to the podcast app, search Down to Dunk. Just leave that five stars. If you have time to leave a message, too, that would be really nice. We've gotten some really nice messages from you guys. Uh, again, we're just really appreciative uh, of you, the listener, uh, of just downloading and being a part of uh this thunder community and listening to our show. So we just really um, are thankful for you guys. So we uh, will talk to you guys again Friday with our typical Friday podcast, the thunder play the Spurs tomorrow night. And then they have a second night of a back to back um, in Oklahoma city with the Denver nuggets. So it should be two pretty fun uh, and super important games. So uh, enjoy those. And we will talk to you guys again Friday. (laughs) 